The number of Americans who have tried at least uh, one dating app has now passed 40 million people. And that is a lot, especially for a phenomenon that really didn't exist 25 years ago. And how has this been for the state of romance? Has it been good because the algorithms are better than humans at matching up people who are compatible? Or has it been bad? Because having so much choice among potential partners, potentially millions, can turn courtship into something of a commodities business. Well, the arguments go in both of those directions and in plenty others per side, which make us think it has the makings of a good debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. I'm John Donvan. We have four superbly qualified debaters on the Intelligence Squared U.S. stage. We are at the K Playhouse at Hunter College in New York City. Those debaters will be attacking this question from opposite sides, but of course, with passion. First, though, we're going to have a conversation with someone whose perspective on love in these times we live in will help us set the table for the debate to come. Daniel Jones is editor of the New York Times Modern Love column. He has personally read more than 80,000 first-person accounts of people struggling to that, make that connection that we call romance. By our lights, that makes him the expert we need to bring us up to speed on love in the time of Tinder. Please welcome <laughs> Daniel Jones. Daniel, I just want you know, to know that in the world I come from, you're, you're considered a big get. You're a big catch. <laughs> you're a big catch. We're really delighted to have you. Because we really well, do... That's th- good. That's yeah, nice, yeah. nice to hear. We do, th- we do think that you, the, the job that you've held for now, 12 years, is it? Uh, coming up on 14. 14 years yeah. editing the Modern Love column has really given you an insight into the, the, the mating habits and aspirations and dreams and despair uh, of, of more Americans than anybody's ever seen uh-huh. before. And, th- and what we really want to understand is, is how, what have been the big evolutions from the time you began to the time that we're in now? I mean, well, it's appropriate that, that this subject tonight is um, online dating because the, the, more than anything, I see this infusion of technology into relationships as, as changing... Um, things more than anything else, and whether it's, it's online dating apps, whether it's, it's communicating through texting, um, in a lot of cases, uh, hiding behind technology. Um, we're always trying to make, make love easier, you know? We're, we're always, and it's true with everything, um, but with love, we feel like it should be something we can get better at and something that we can solve. And we bring science to it, and we bring technology to it. And um, what, I, what I like about love is that none of that ever seems to work. <laughs> <laughs> There's something that you wrote in the book. I underlined this. I highlighted it. Love is for the sucker in us, not the skeptic. Yeah. Hey, what is that getting at? Um, it means that you have to suspend disbelief. I mean, this idea that, um, which is a relatively new idea in human history, by the way, that, that, that you um, will fall in love with someone who is meant for you and that you will spend, you know, I don't know what the soulmate typical... The soulmate Yeah, the soulmate. That, that you're going to spend, what, um, 50, 60, 70 years together and be satisfied by that one person. Um, that takes a lot of of nerve and a lot of belief and a lot of faith. And 
you know, I wrote that line in a, in a chapter that's about people falling for catfishing and for cons, yeah. for love cons, and how easy that is to happen. Like, it's so easy to judge people who fall for um, the, the fake person online and fall deeply for the fake person online. But that's what you have to do. (laughs) You have to be open to that. And if you aren't open to falling for the fake person online, then you really aren't open to love in a a way. So we're all suckers, you're saying. We're we're all suckers for love. No, we aren't. I mean, some people aren't suckers, but I think that makes it harder for them to to open up to somebody. And in the course of of the 14 years you've been looking at love in general, but as you've zeroed in on the dating apps, how has the, the attitude towards dating apps itself changed? Because I remember a time yeah. when it was, it was a you, you would it was really it was embarrassing stig- to tell stigma. somebody that yeah. you had gone online. I think the stigma has gone away completely, um, almost completely. Um, from at least from from the stories I get, um, no no one's embarrassed. No one people. I used to get stories of people making up fake meeting stories to to, to make up for the fact that they met online. That doesn't really seem to happen anymore. Um, I. I you know, it's a way of meeting people. It's a different way of meeting people. And there are, um, there are challenges that, that it presents that are different from the way we used to meet people. But it's still just a way of meeting people. You talk about if your profile mentions that you're divorced, that that can actually <laughs> be a good thing? It definitely is. Why? Yeah. Um, because you... Look at all the hope that just <laughs> rippled across the room there. No, I've seen this over and over and over. Um, if you are, you know, a, a, a 45-year-old man who's never been married, um, people think there's a, a deeper problem there. If you're a 45-year-old man who has been divorced, then at least you were able to convince one person once. <laughs> you were, that you were um, worthy, and that you, and, but also that you, ha- you, I guess the main thing is you uh, committed. You know, you you ended up not keeping that commitment ultimately, or maybe she didn't, but you you committed, and you you want someone who will who will do go there, and if it's, if it's someone who's never done that, it, you're more worried. Well, speaking <laughs> now, that's that's divorced individuals. Are there other groups for whom dating apps have caught on faster than for others, and are more important in in the sort of larger demographic picture than in others? Um, I mean, in my view, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's caught on mostly with people who are, or more with people who are, who are uh, introverts or shyer mm-hmm. or um, more prone to fantasy. <laughs> because you... I mean, one difference I've noticed in, in meeting people in person or meeting people online is that when you meet people online, people online, you tend to fantasize more in terms of what this relationship is going to be and how great this person is going to be for you because those, those fantasies can't be torn down in the moment. And it's a little bit like the difference between um, you know, shopping online or shopping in a brick-and-mortar store mm-hmm. where you know, if I go into a store and I'm like, oh, those jeans are just so great and I'm going to look so great in those jeans and then you put them on <laughs> and you stand in the, in the mirror that shows you from every angle and you're like, oh God, it just, it doesn't work. <laughs> and your ability to fantasize was sort of cut short because the, you, were, you were in person and you did it. 
online, um, if you meet someone in person in a bar, uh, you, 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 those, either they don't give you the time of day, in which case, you know, y- your fantasy is dispelled, or you, don't, you sense there's no chemistry, uh, you know, smell is important in, in falling in love, and online that, there's no yeah. smell. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not that a bad smell is off-putting, it's that the smells need to mingle in a way that works. I had no know? idea. That's yeah. working below the conscious Helen level. Helen Fisher will tell you about yeah. that, I'll bet. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, do you, do, you, do you have the dog in your picture or not? Is that a charming thing to do? The dog in the picture? Yeah. Well, I've heard that, a, that a, if a man has a dog in the picture, um, that's a huge plus. Um, because, it, again, it shows commitment and love and that sort of thing. And for a woman, um, no dog and looking up. Really? <laughs> yeah. So there's a science to the... Uh, to the mystery. Yeah, Tom will tell you more. <laughs> I, about I'm that. curious in our audience tonight. Is anybody here on a date? <laughs> They're not going to raise their hand. Oh, come on! Ra- close your eyes and raise your hands if you're here on a date. All right. And the, the reason we mention this is that is that at Intelligence Squared, we're, we're sort of committed to the idea of promoting what we call intelligating, which is um, let's 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 have a smart evening out tonight, and and it's going to be. It's going to be uh, as hot as it is enlightening. So <laughs> I think both of those things are happening right, right now. Uh, but I, I want to I go to, you know, take that question to you in terms of the, what, what f- you know, the, the heart wants what it wants, but the brain is the thing that's telling us, don't do that stupid thing. Uh-huh. Uh, which, which do you feel again, through your 80,000 reference points, plays more of a role. Are there people who can talk themselves out of romance because their brain is telling them it's a bad idea and their lives become ruined as a result? Or are there people, the opposite as well, are people following their hearts and they do incredibly stupid things? (laughs) People definitely do incredibly stupid things um, following their hearts. I'm not sure I've ever been asked that question that way before. Um, I I think people are terrified. You know, to... to, um, to, op- to, to be vulnerable with someone is what love requires, but that's, that's the hardest thing. And I think it's, it's harder, part of that is harder these days because um, we have these ways of sheltering ourselves um, and being meeker about, um, about how we ask someone out. Um, you know, it's just the text that says, what's up, you know? Um, yeah. And there's so little risk in that and when you're used to taking, when, when, you're, when you're not used to taking risks, it was really a risk. Like when I was in high school, and I was, I mean, I'm terrible at relationships. <laughs> like I just, you know, part of this column has been like an education for me because it's just not something I've ever been very good at. And I, I the, the idea of like calling someone or going um, up to someone in person mm-hmm. um, it was just paralyzing to me. And... If I had um, texting, I would have been emboldened by that, but it would have been this lower bar of, of um, like, saying, what's up, you know? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that you have to practice vulnerability to, to, to do it well, just like anything. And I worry that, that our tools are allowing us not to practice vulnerability. How else has actually working on this column and knowing all of these people's stories, how else has it changed you? Um, 
And you know, it's, I feel like the question that we ask ourselves constantly with, with love and relationships is, um, and this is something that I've sort of absorbed through people's stories, is everyone is wondering, like, how happy do I have a right to be? Mm-hmm. Or how, um, how, ha- how happy is, uh, you know, because everyone's trying to determine if this person is right for them. Am I happy enough with this person? And then in long-term marriage, um, this isn't working for me anymore, but is it worth jettisoning? You know, get, is it worth getting rid of? And the, the, the question that's sort of circling in everyone's mind, it's an impossible question to answer. People end up answering it, but it's, a, it's how, um, what is happiness? What does it consist of? And how much of that do I have a right to? Mm-hmm. Is, this, is this marriage enough for me? Is this person enough for me? Now I need to, we need to start thinking about having a family. Is this the person I want to do it with? Do I feel good enough with this person? Um, and I admire the people, um, I, I've come to admire people through the column, the, the people who uh, repeatedly open themselves up to love after they've been sort of crushed. Yeah. And there are really two kinds of people in this world. And, and one is the kind, everyone gets crushed you know, at some point. And one is the kind who says, okay, I'm going to love again. And those people go on to have a happy life, whether they get crushed again, whether they have a horrible disease, whatever. Those are the people who are going to have a happy life. And the ones who say, I can't do that again, and go in the other direction, and don't, and and decide, my heart can't take that. And um, I I sort of have seen that split in submissions, a sort of bitterness versus openness. And if you can be on that right side of openness, you're you have a chance at a happy life. So which side are you on? Oh Asked Barbara Walters of <laughs> The Journalist. <laughs> which side am I on? I don't consider myself an incredibly brave person uh. when, it, when it comes to love. I have a, I have a good marriage, um, and, and I, I feel like I'm happier than I have a right to be, uh-huh. considering how um, much struggle there is in the world. Um, but... I, um, I don't know. I have a new view of sort of what, what marriage is. I've been married 25 years and have two kids and see them go through relationships and all of that. And um, I, I've just... I, I've sort of come to appreciate what, what kindness and generosity um, can do over the long term versus our sort of obsession with... Um, love and romance, mm. which are, I don't know, I, I, I see so many stories of people who, who divorce or break up because they don't feel in love anymore. They say, I don't feel in love anymore. And um, you just wonder, like, what, um, what is valuable, you know, over the long term in relationships? What, what, what is valuable and what do you, what do you cherish? And uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by people who struggle with those questions. Yeah. Yeah. Could, could you see yourself, uh, to rekindle the passion, coming to an Intelligence Square debate to sort of <laughs> get things fired What are you up? asking, really? <laughs> it's not, I'm not asking you out. <laughs> I, I mean, I just want to share, we've had some... Uh, uh, we, we've had people 
connect romantically by coming to these debates. I believe it. Um, and we, <laughs> we, had, uh, we had one marriage result. Actually, two. A few years ago in 2014, I got an email from uh, a guy in Denver um, named Ryan who wrote and said, um, my girlfriend and I have been listening to your debates and we were having a lot of disagreements that were keeping us apart, but listening to your debates let us sort out what, you know, what we believe about things and to learn to respect the differences with each other. And now I think I'm ready to pop the question. And he said, <laughs> he said would you mind recording a mock introduction to a debate? Of saying, uh, No, yeah, he wanted my yeah. voice saying, ladies and gentlemen, here's our debate. <laughs> Nicole should take Ryan's hand in marriage or something like that. <laughs> So I stood on the stage in front of, an o- of the audience that night, and I read, you know, Nicole, and then the whole audience burst into applause. And I, I send the, the audio file out to him, and four years ago, he played it in the kitchen while, while Nicole was making dinner, and then he got down on his knees and proposed to her. And um, I checked in with him this weekend. <laughs> I checked in with him this weekend, and I said, how's it going? And he said, we're getting married this summer. <laughs> so, so they've been together during those four so years. So John definitely. will do that for you. Yeah. Now that you now that you're, he'll record your voicemail message, yeah. too. Probably. And, and, and we've, we're very interested in these topics that kind of mix technology and the uh-huh. human spirit. We've, um, we've debated um, the impact of technology on, on what, the way we think, on whether it makes us smarter, whether video games make us smarter, uh, artificial intelligence and jobs. So tonight's... Tonight's on, uh, entrance in this category of teledating, we think, is really on, really on target for mm-hmm. us. But to, to get back to one other, a couple of other insights from your book that I just found fascinating, um, and your book, by the way, is called Love Illuminated, uh, Exploring Life's Most Mystifying Subject. I loved it. I wasn't sure I was going to like it. I'll do this on the phone. I really <laughs> love you. this book because you had, first of all, you're a fantastic writer. You, you, so many people are competing to get into your column. I'm thinking, who's the guy who's judging all of these writers? You, you got the right. Um, first of all, all of those pieces are really well Thanks, written, John. but your nice writing is fantastic. But um, you mentioned that men are three times more likely to declare themselves in love before sex, and that this was a study done at Penn State. Do you recall that? Yeah, yeah. So what's that about? That surprised me. Well, it didn't surprise me once I knew why. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a study about who says, I love you first in relationships. And I just, you know, I, I assumed it would be um, very sexist of me, but I assumed it would be the women who would get emotionally involved before the man, and maybe they do. But the person who says, I love you first, is... Um, is the man more commonly, three times more commonly, I think. And, yeah, yeah. And he says it before sex. So there's sort of a motive <laughs> to, <laughs> to saying it. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't dispute its sincerity in the moment. At the time. In the moment. <laughs> yes. And then women are much more likely to say I love you after sex, at which point the man is less likely to reciprocate. <laughs> If he's still in the room. <laughs> awake or awake, yeah. Yeah. So that's, a, that's unfortunately a very cynical take on the words I love you. I know. We and you, you also talk we shouldn't about... go there tonight. The, yeah, let's not. You also talk about the accidental I love you when one person blur, blurts out I love you not meaning to and then, uh-huh. it, and then it lands and becomes often unreciprocated. I, yeah. I, I recommend the book just for these couple of pages because this is a brilliant story. <laughs> Well, it's true. I mean, it, it, um, but again, we're so we're, we're so guarded, and this is 
it's funny how I love you has become this sort of um, threshold, you know, like saying these words. Like in some cultures, you don't even say I love you ever. Um, and for us, it's so loaded. And then the, I mean, my, my favorite of, of, of stories that have come my way, many of which actually are about this, this exact issue. How do you say I love you? What does a person say in response? And the, the classic responses are like, thanks. I love you. You know, after all this build up and build up and build up, I love you. Thanks. (laughs) You imagine? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I said at the beginning that having Daniel Jones was really a catch. You are a catch, and you've helped set up this conversation spectacularly well. Uh, The the book, again, Love Illuminated, and the column, you all know modern love. You all have your stories. Uh, So far, 80,000. We've got another several hundred here of people who can write in and tell their stories, but I want to thank you. (laughs) I want to thank you so much for for taking the time and for helping us set the table this way. Legend and Daniel Jones. Thanks. My pleasure. And now let's please let's please welcome our debaters to the stage starting with Tom Jakes. <laughs> Helen Fisher. Thank you. Manush Samarodi. Hi. And Eric Kleinenberg. Let's all take our places. Folks, you are doing so well in the applause department that I, I really appreciate that I'm not even asking for the, the applause. It's coming perfectly. So you get it. And the nice thing is afterwards, when this podcast exists for... For a million years, any time for the rest of your life, you can turn on the podcast and hear your own applause. And I, I've done that. Our motion is swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. Let's meet our debaters. Please, again, welcome Eric Kleinenberg. Hi, Eric. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. Um, You are a professor at New York University. You're co-author of the bestseller Modern Romance. Your field is sociology, and that's a field that has been looking at mating rituals for as long as anyone can really remember. And tonight we're debating the impact of dating apps on people, but how have these apps changed sociology itself? Uh, so far, they haven't really changed sociology, but um, it is inevitable that they're going to, and there's a very simple reason for that, uh, and that is that the things we do on apps are recorded by the companies that make them, and we can turn that into data that we learn to uh, discover all kinds of things about our secrets, the things we do, and, and I should actually say that is just one of the many unromantic things about dating apps. Um, <laughs> okay. Our, our you intimate can, life you, is their data. You can't slip it in there. <laughs> Eric Kleinenberg. Trying to slip one by us. And Eric's partner is, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome again, Manush Zemarodi. 
Hi, Manoush. Um, you host the uh, Note to Self podcast mm-hmm. that's known as the Tech Show about being human. Uh, your recent book, Bored and Brilliant, also makes another sort of fascinating uh, breakthrough argument, and it's based on new research. You have found, you report, that we come up with some of our best and most creative thinking during periods when we are off of social media and just spacing out. Um, because that's when our minds get busy, you say, in interesting and creative ways. So given that, is the advice that you would give your opponents tonight, if they want to win this debate, that they should just space out now and then? Yeah, I would say if they have not ignited the default mode in their brain and allowed their minds to wander towards brilliance, it's a little late, so... (laughs) But that doesn't mean they haven't done that already. Ladies and the team arguing for the motion. And now let's meet those opponents arguing against the motion. Swipe left, dating apps have killed romance. Please welcome Helen Fisher. <laughs> Helen, we are delighted to have you on this stage. You've been to many debates as a member of the audience. It's great to have you up here. You are a biological anthropologist. Uh, you are the chief scientific advisor to Match.com, uh, also a breakthrough thinker, notably your own work applying hard science to the study of love and romance uh, with your fascinating insight that chemicals uh, like dopamine and serotonin in our brains have a lot to do with who's going to match up well with whom. That's what your book, Anatomy of Love, is all about, um, which raises the question, uh, which probably will come up tonight, are, are we stuck with the chemistry that we're born with? We're not puppets on a string of DNA, that is for sure. We've evolved a huge cerebral cortex with which we make decisions. It's amazing we don't do it better, but we do. Um, we have, although, that, you know, we, although we are flexible, we have personalities that are based in biology, and we're naturally drawn to some people rather than others. So people are correct when they say we have chemistry. Oh, lovely line. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Helen Fisher. And next in line is Tom Jakes. Uh, Welcome to Intelligence Squared, Tom. Thank you. Tom, you are uh, Vice President of Engineering at OkCupid. That is a leading date site for anybody who might not know that. It boasts more than 3.5 million users. You, Tom, got your degree in computer science from Carnegie Mellon. Uh, And that makes you the numbers guy on the stage tonight more than anybody else. So being good with numbers, can you please... Uh, settle the most important mathematical question to have burdened sages and songwriters for generations. Is one the loneliest number? <laughs> so I, I, I love this question. So I think one certainly you know, is a lonely number, but like all questions, the context matters. So if we're talking about the number of relationships in the world, then zero is the loneliest number because it means that everybody's alone. Oh. Uh, if you have... <laughs> You know, if, if you have one, but, you know, you might have access to a dating app like OkCupid, okay you can quickly turn that into two. Okay. Also getting ahead of yourself, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Tom Jakes. Here they are, our four debaters, ready to get started when Intelligence Squared U.S. continues. We'll be right back. And I want to remind you one more time, if you haven't voted yet, you can still vote for the next few minutes. Uh, if we're going to put the instructions back up on the screen. Go to open a web browser on your phone. Any of the browsers will work, iq2us.org backslash vote. Um, and you'll, again, I'll just run you through it. You'll see yes, no, or undecided. And if you uh, want to change your vote, you'll be prompted, yes or no, to go forward. For, I'm sorry, it's for or against or undecided. 
and yes or no to move forward. If you like your selection, say yes. If you want to change your mind, say no. All right, everybody, we're going to move on. As always, our debate goes in three rounds. And it's the difference between the first and the second vote that declares our winners, and only one side wins. Let's move on to round one. Our motion is this, swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. Speaking first for the motion and making his way to the intelligence square there on the floor, Eric Kleinenberg, he is sociologist and co-author of the book Modern Romance. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Kleinenberg. Thank you very much. You heard I'm a sociologist. I love sociology. I can't stop doing it. So I thought, let's start tonight by getting to know each other a little bit. I'm going to do an old-fashioned instant survey to get us going. So let me just ask, how many people in this room, can you clap, please, uh, if you have never done online dating, if you've never used an online... Oh, uh, national public radio crowd here tonight. Um, and can you also uh, clap loudly if you have used a dating app? All right. All right. We have a few people, we have a future. Um, can you clap if you're single? Whoa. Uh, special reception for you after the debate tonight. Uh, clap if you're married, please. Okay. Somewhat disturbing. Um, and just finally, if you could clap if you're currently in an extramarital relationship. <laughs> Whoa. (laughs) Ashley Madison, a dating app that is not dead yet. So look, I have spent years studying modern love and romance. I have traveled around the world doing interviews and focus groups with people who are single. I have studied the data that come from dating companies, and I can tell you that it's true. Millions of people are using dating apps, and many are finding relationships. Uh, But we are here not to talk about the numbers so much as to talk about the experience. And let me tell you, that the experiences of people who use dating apps are anything but romantic. And let's remember why we're here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Our question is not, are dating apps popular? They are. We concede that. It's whether dating apps are bad for romance. And Manoush and I tonight are going to tell you why they are. But before we can do that, let's define the term. What, what is romance? Let's go to the Oxford English Dictionary, a great source for this. It tells us that uh, romance is this kind of feeling of mystery and wonder. Helen has written about this that we get around love. But there's something else in the definition that's important to me. It's this sense of being swept away, uh, remote uh, from reality, away from everyday life. It's that sense of being preoccupied with some other person. You think about them and care about them so much that everything else kind of melts away. You forget about the mundane. That's the feeling that we try to recapture when we go on vacation or when we go on a date or when we make a meal for our special person, right? It's that idea that we're lost in love. There's not another care we have in the world. Now, it is worth noting that since the advent of the internet, marriage rates have gone down. There are more people in the world who are single today than ever before. There are more people who are living alone. Still, I think that most people who are looking for love are able to find it, and technology won't change that. The thing is that dating apps are making just about every part of our search for love less romantic. Think about it. If you've been on a dating app, you know that it encourages you to treat people like products. People routinely lie about their height, their age, their weight, their income. 
They put huge amounts of attention into their photograph, and for good reason, about 90% of the action online dating is about the quality of your picture. Are you hot or not? 90%. But then we send out heartless and sometimes cruel messages, things we would never say to a person in person because the phones encourages us to treat people like bubbles on a screen. Unfortunately, the things that we do online are changing the culture. My fellow sociologists say that they're changing our norms, making us ruder and flakier and more self-involved. Have you taken a selfie recently? Here's the most important thing. Dating apps make it harder, not easier, to be swept away by another person. Why is that? Because the phone demands our attention. It is always telling us that there's something or someone that deserves our attention more than the person we're with or the thing we're doing now. That's true for new couples, but it's also true for established couples as well. I mean, think about it. How often have you come home at night, if you're in a couple, looking for affection and connection only to find your partner cuddled up on the couch with his iPhone? How romantic is that? Real life and real relationships have a hard time competing with the stimulation that apps give us. On dating apps, the problem is there's too much going on. Today, people go into their phones and they perceive a world of limitless dating choices. And unfortunately, this means it's very hard to settle on the person that we're with. We're always wondering, isn't there something better out there? Let's go online and find out. I have interviewed people who are on Tinder while in an Uber on their way to a date that they organized on Tinder hours before. And this matters because... Romance and love don't come from superficial connections. It's not really about whether you're hot or not. At the end of the day, romance is impossible without sustained face-to-face contact. What's important is not the quantity of our dates. It's the quality of our interactions. And the main reason that you should vote for the motion tonight is because apps and the phone culture that they're part of have made spending quality time with another human being a very hard thing to do. Thank you. Thank you, Eric Leinenberg. Our motion again, swipe left, dating apps have killed romance. And here to make his opening statement against the motion, Tom Jakes, Vice President of Engineering at OKCupid. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Jakes. Thank you very much, John. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to come out here tonight to debate. So I usually don't do media or public speaking things like most people. It terrifies me. Uh, and being a programmer, I'm more likely to talk to a computer than another human being. Uh, but you know, even though I'm not going to be as eloquent as Eric just was, uh, I'm going to do my best. So hello, everybody. <laughs> my name is Tom. Hello. <laughs> So I grew up in a small town of Wayland, Massachusetts, and uh, I attended Carnegie Mellon University, where I graduated with a degree in computer science, as John just told you. And, uh, you know, after graduating, I moved to New York to join this crazy startup called OkCupid that was trying to use the internet to help people find love. Uh, And, you know, working on a dating app, you know, let me tell you some of my interests. Uh, I love to travel, love candlelit dinners long walks on the beach, and writing algorithms. So I care a lot 
about the topic of dating apps and romance. You know, it's, it's literally what I've spent the last eight years of my life thinking about every single day. And I may not look like a traditional matchmaker, but today, you know, as Eric told you, I am the typical matchmaker because, you know, dating apps are the most common way to meet people now. <clears throat> and uh, today, you know, I'm going to show you that instead of killing romance, the data actually shows that dating apps are creating romance. And even though Eric didn't want to talk about the numbers, I do. <laughs> so you, you're hearing things from him about bad behavior, having too many options, you know, arbitrary, irrelevant algorithms, which I take offense to. <laughs> you know, but what you won't hear is you know, them citing a number of studies that prove their point, because the data isn't there in the context of dating. So I've got three main points that I want to get across tonight. The first point is that more and more people are using dating apps to get together. You know, since building momentum in 1995, when the first dating apps started coming about, there's been a steady increase in the percent of couples that are using dating apps to get together. This is especially true for people who were marginalized before, the handicapped, the LGBTQI community, and people over the age of 55. <clears throat> you know, so as a quick question to the audience, and remember, it's radio, so make a lot of noise. <clears throat> who knows somebody who's in a relationship because of a dating app? a lot of people. <laughs> Turns out, you're not alone. <clears throat> a number of studies estimate that over 40% of relationships today come from meeting on a dating app, and over 70% of LGBTQI relationships do. Uh, a recent study called The Strength of Apps and Ties that got global attention in 2017 say that we're actually seeing an unprecedented rise in the number of interracial marriages. <clears throat> And this sharp rise in interracial marriages correlates exactly to moments when popular dating apps were released, things like Match.com, OkCupid, and Yup Tinder. <clears throat> this is what dating apps do. They break down barriers and allow you to connect, form relationships, get married to people who you might otherwise never have the chance to meet. What isn't romantic about that? <clears throat> so my second point is that it's working. Not only are people getting together, they're staying together and they're happy. <clears throat> Studies have shown that married couples who met online report higher marital satisfaction and have a lower rate of breaking up than couples who met offline. And you might be thinking, all right, so what? Anybody can cite a study that makes them look good, right? Well, let's talk about something that you can't fake, more data. <clears throat> <clears throat> Turns out that because marriages are registered with the government in the United States, uh, the CDC happens to track marriage and divorce rates. Don't ask me why the CDC thinks that marriage is a disease. <laughs> don't, don't know the answer to that one, but they've got the numbers. <clears throat> According to them, marriage has been steadily declining, declining in the United States since the 80s. And this trend only began to change in 2009 where it started to bottom out, and it's actually started to rise again. You know, if you take a look at divorces, and specifically uh, the rate of divorces per marriage, uh, that's a trend line that's been going up over time. You know, people have been getting divorced more and more. But that trend 
also reversed in 2010. It's actually come back down to one of the lowest points in the last 20 years. So now, well, correlation doesn't imply causation. Uh, you know, how could these negative trends have been reversed during the rise of dating apps? It's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> so my last point is this. If dating apps have killed romance, where's the body? <laughs> I, looked, I looked everywhere. I couldn't find one. Qualitatively, people don't think that dating apps are killing romance. Uh, Pew Research surveyed 55% of people who don't use dating apps think that they're good. Of people who do use them, 80% think that they're a good way to meet people. Uh, quantitatively, people are still forming relationships and getting together. Again, over 40% of relationships today and over a third of marriages due to dating apps. And, you know, if this stuff didn't work, I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> dating apps aren't killing romance. They're making romance possible. Because of that, I ask you to vote no on the motion. Thank you, Tom Jakes. And a reminder of where we are, we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion, Swipe Left Dating Apps Have Killed Romance. You have heard from the first two debaters, and now on to the third. To debate in support of the motion, here is Manoush Zamarodi, host of WNYC's Note to Self podcast, author of Bored and Brilliant. Ladies and gentlemen, Manoush Zamarodi. I have the least degrees of anyone on this stage. I am not an anthropologist. I am not a sociologist. I am not a data scientist. I'm a mom of two kids. I'm a wife. I'm a journalist. And I host a podcast that is about how technology is changing everything in our lives. And my audience is extremely generous. Every day we get emails and voice memos about how technology is specifically changing the way that they work, the way that they parent, the way that they fall in love. And oftentimes they are looking for guidance on how to cope with this accelerating world. And so that is what I hope to offer them on this podcast. But when I told them that I was going to be doing this debate tonight, they had a message for you. In fact, they had a few things that they wanted you to know about their experiences on these dating apps. Um, some simply wanted to share the messages that they had exchanged with potential suitors. Um, I'm going to read a few to you. And tell me if this would spark online romance for you. Hey! No, that's it. Just hey. Nice legs, even if you don't shave them. Yeah, those weren't too bad. Can I read you my favorite? I'm looking to shove my head between your legs and bend you over. What are you looking for? <laughs> I know. My kids aren't listening. I just want you to know that. <laughs> to be fair, several of my listeners did say that they eventually did meet a special someone with the help of an online dating site. But like anyone who has spent time on these apps, they first had to run the gauntlet of lewd messages or spent time exchanging messages with people who seemed really interested but then just seemed to disappear from their screens. One person wrote me, all the apps have bots of beautiful people who seem amazing and educated and hot and available and who will engage you for a few sessions, but then they ghost you. Okay, but let's say, oh, yeah, exactly. 
But let's say you do make a connection. Okay, well, let's say positive. Let's say you make a connection with a person, a real person, with the help of an app, and you go on an actual date. Then what? So many people told me that the transactional quality of their experience on these apps just seeps over into real life. Chrissy wrote me, I have come to despise that look a man gives you when you first meet, the gleam in their eye, the smirk. It makes me shudder. Immediately, I have to decide how hard I'm going to push to split the bill because clearly they think they're buying something. Ew. But at least that guy showed up. Listen to this story about a dude who really used one of these apps to manipulate people. Clip one. He was on Match.com, and he, he told me it was his type of porn. So he told me that what he liked to do was start relationships with women and get to the point where it was going to be their first meeting. And I guess that was like the most exciting, fun part for him as it is for most people. And then he would set up a time and place for them to finally meet for the first time. And then he wouldn't show up and he would do it over and over and over again. And that guy was actually her boyfriend at the time. (laughs) And he broke up with her by posting a picture of himself on Instagram with his new fiancé. Good times. Okay, now, listen, have I shared with you the worst aspects of online dating? Maybe. And maybe you're thinking, like, oh, my God, if it's so terrible, just don't do it, right? But here is the problem. The destruction of romance extends IRL into real life. Even if you give up finding romance online and you decide to look for love the old-fashioned way in a bar, (laughs) this is what you will find. Clip two. Yeah, so I walked into this bar kind of excited to see if I could connect with a guy. And I looked around and every single guy at the bar was on their phone on dating apps. (laughs) Every single one. I got to the point where I realized... I should just get on the, the dating apps and see if any of them are actually on it. But um, there's no point in interacting. No point in interacting, much less exchanging glances over a pint of Brooklyn lager. Are you feeling tired? Are you exhausted by all these stories? Are you thinking, oh my God, this is so draining, especially for women? Yeah. Well, you're not alone. Here's Becca. It's just very exhausting. Like, online dating is very exhausting. And, like, obviously not opposed to meeting someone in real life. It's just, like, for me personally, I don't know where the f*** I would meet anyone in real life. (laughs) My teammate told you how dating apps have destroyed romance. They've taken away mystery, remoteness. But I want to add that dating apps have destroyed another important aspect of romance. Civility and conversation. Basic emotional intelligence, eye contact, being able to read someone's body language and make them think, like, act your best, like your best self. Make them think that you are just amazing and they are the most special person in the world. At least until you get to know each other, right? Look, we all know the internet is extraordinary. Information goes around so quickly. We are connecting people all over the world. But is it good for romance? No. When human beings interact online, they often revert to their crudest instincts. Dating apps are no different and certainly not better. 
Give me a Twitter where people punctuate properly and treat each other with respect, and I will grant you a dating app that brings out people's most caring, loving, and romantic selves. Not gonna happen. <laughs> and this is why you should vote yes for me and Eric. Thank you. My name is Emma Rodi. And the motion to vote on is swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance and here to make her closing statement against the motion. Helen Fisher, biological anthropologist and chief scientific advisor to Match.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Helen Fisher. Good evening. I'm delighted to be here, and I'm delighted that you're here. I do an annual study uh, with Match.com called Singles in America. We do not poll the Match members. It's a demographically and national representative sample based on the U.S. Census. We've done it for the last eight years, and we've got data on over 35,000 singles of every age and every background. And today, this past year, 6% of singles met somebody in a bar. I'm not surprised about that. Uh, 24% met through a friend, and 40% met somebody on the Internet. Moreover, 57% think that online dating is a good way to meet people. Are they all crazy? (laughs) Before we get into deep yogurt on this, into the weeds on this whole issue... I'd like to add a broader, more evolutionary, more anthropological perspective to apps, to romance, and to human nature. And I'm going to begin with a story. I was traveling in New Guinea, in the highlands of New Guinea, and I ran into a man who had three wives. And I asked him, how many wives would you like to have? And there was this long pause. And I thought to myself, is he going to say five? Is he going to say ten? Is he going to say twenty-five? And he turned to me and he said, none. (laughs) A lot of wives can be a real toothache. (laughs) We are a pair-bonding species. Even in polygynous societies, the vast majority of men and women pair up with one person at a time. And along with the evolution of human pair-bonding millions of years ago, we evolved the brain circuitry for romance. I study this brain system of romantic love. I and my colleagues, Lucy Brown, uh, Bianca Acevedo, and others, have put over 100 people into a brain scanner using fMRI to study the brain circuitry of romantic love. And we've been able to show that the main circuits lie way below the cortex where you do your thinking, way below the brain regions uh, uh, linked with the emotions, at the very base of the brain, brain linked with drive. In this case the drive to find life's greatest prize, which is a mating partner. In fact, this brain uh, system lies right near the factories that orchestrate thirst and hunger. Thirst and hunger keep you alive today. Romantic love enables you to focus your mating energy on somebody else and pass your DNA on into tomorrow. This is a survival mechanism, and it will not die whether you swipe left or right on Tinder. (laughs) In fact, if you're concerned about uh, uh, killing romance with apps, what about the automobile? In the 1950s, we suddenly had a rolling bedroom. Uh, What about the birth control pill in the 70s? Or Viagra in 1998? Technology cannot change the basic brain structure of romance. 
Technology is changing the way we court, and you're going to hear more and more about that. In the past, people pulled up in their horse and buggy and wooed at the lunch on Sunday lunch. In my day, they called on the phone. Today, people email and text and meet and seek a mate on the Internet with apps. It's just the newest way to do the same old thing. Uh, in fact, these really aren't even dating sites. They're introducing sites. The only real algorithm is your own brain. When you go out and meet the person, and you've got to meet the person, your own brain snaps into action, and you court the way you always have, smiling, laughing, listening, watching, parading, the way you did long before apps. In fact, romantic love is a little bit like a sleeping cat. 34% of singles have fallen in love at first sight. 45% have gone into a friends with benefits, thinking it's just going to be one night stand, and it turned into a long-term uh, committed relationship. And 89% of singles today believe that you can find the... If, when you find the right person, you can remain married for life. If that's not romance, I don't know what is. Um, and I think they're looking in the right place. I did this study myself with Match, and I found that people who use Internet to date... Uh, have more education, are more fully employed, and more likely to want to marry. These sites certainly do have problems. But like any new technology, you've got to learn how to use it. And you've seen how people are not using it properly tonight. The biggest problem, and it was mentioned by Eric, is cognitive overload. The brain is not well built to choose between hundreds, if not thousands, of alternatives. So what I would recommend is that you stop. If you're a dating person, after you've met nine people, the brain doesn't deal with more than about nine, stop and get to know one person more. And the more you get to know a person, the more you like them, and the more you think that that person is like you. Actually, I think romance is expanding due to something that I call slow love. Today, singles are taking different routes to love. Many of them are just hanging out for months before they even kiss. Others are working slowly into friends with benefits, then slowly into dating somebody. Dating has actually acquired a new significance, more important, and then slowly into living together before they marry. What we're seeing is a real extension of the pre-commitment stage before uh, we tie the knot. Where marriage used to be the beginning of a relationship, now it's the finale. And we have even more time for romance. So, um, nobody gets out of love alive. You heard about some of these people. We all suffer on the internet and off the internet. As the poet William Butler Yeats once said, love is the crooked thing. It is. But I will close with this. The drive for romance and love as one of the most powerful brain system the human animal has ever evolved. Apps have their problems, but apps cannot, never have, and never will kill the brain circuitry for romance. Thank you. Thank you, Helen Fisher. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is swipe left, dating apps have killed romance. So I want to remind you that today's debate is being, tonight's debate is being broadcast worldwide on our website, iq2us.org, and 
on Facebook Live. If you're watching the live stream, we would also like to hear from you. Send us your questions on Twitter or Facebook with the hashtag IQ2USLive so that we don't miss it. And be sure to include at least your first name and your city and your state or your country, in fact. Now we move on to round two, and round two uh, is where the debaters address one another directly, and they take questions from me and from you, our live audience here in New York City. Our motion is, swipe left, dating apps have killed romance. We have heard the team arguing for the motion. Manush Zamarodi and Eric Kleinenberg argue that dating by apps is anything but romantic, uh, that it makes it harder to be swept away uh, when meeting another person or encountering another person, which they define as the essence of romance, they point out that uh, the apps are a transactional uh, uh, activity whose quality is seeping into real life and destroying, um, destroying romance, actually, in real life, even in offline relationships, killing things like civility and decency. Dating apps making it um, just people ruder, and they use the word flakier. Um, and basically, they also point out one of the principles I think is involved here is the problem of having too much choice, that when people know that they have always the opportunity to swipe for somebody else, they're always going to be looking for something better. So that's part of the argument being made by the team arguing for the motion. The team arguing against the motion, Helen Fisher and Tom Jakes, uh, they say the data actually backs up the argument, their argument that apps are aiding and abetting romance, that the numbers support their argument that there are people in the world getting together who otherwise would not be able to, including uh, people in the disabled community, the LGBT community, where uh, apps are, they say, responsible for 70% of relationships that have developed. They also say there is a correlation to a breaking down of all kinds of social barriers with the appearance of apps. Also going to the level of brain chemistry, that the brain circuitry of romantic love is too deeply etched in our brains to be dislodged by one generation of dating apps. They point out that time and time again, technology has been blamed for destroying romance, but it's always turned out to be a false alarm. They say it's a false alarm this time again. I want to go to the team arguing uh, for the motion. Uh, Essentially, you're making a qualitative argument, I would say, primarily, and your opponents are making a a quantitative argument. Let's take on their quantitative argument. They're basically pointing out that the, the, the numbers so strongly suggest that people are using these apps because they're working for them um, that, that all by itself they win the debate. Pub, public behavior wins the debate for them, that people are using these apps, and as you've already conceded, there have been many, many relationships developing out of them. Would you like to take, take that on, Eric? By, by all means, because we, we would never concede that millions of people are using these apps. We just think that's a very poor way to measure their effect on romance. So let me ask you to consider, for instance, Facebook. Do you know that Americans get their news from Facebook like no other place? Ladies and gentlemen, would any single person in this room argue that Facebook is good for news or journalism or truth? Teenagers all over the world are using their smartphones to text each other incessantly. Are smartphones good for conversation? What are the most popular restaurants in the United States today? McDonald's, Burger King, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell. Are they good for nutrition? (laughs) The, The idea that because people are using dating apps, which have crowded out so many other ways of getting together, my gosh, you go to the bar and you can't interact if you don't have a phone, 
It just doesn't sell. Tom Jakes, let's respond to that. Your opponents are basically saying that dating apps like the one that you work for, they are the fast food of romance. <laughs> and and, and, cor- and they're quite seriously argue- arguing that it's coarsening the culture and that anything that coarsens the culture can't be called romantic. So I think that there are some fair points that are brought up, you know, but one of those points that was brought up was, is Facebook good for news? Well, I'd actually say yes. I think Facebook and Twitter have been great for news. Facebook and Twitter allow people to get information more directly from the source. Dating apps allow you to expand your options and get down to the point of meeting people who you're actually going to talk with and connect with and get to know. Manush, um, so the, in, embedded in that, in that response is also the argument that team is making that people who normally would not have the opportunity to meet are meeting. And, and, and definitely, I, I don't think you would even argue against the fact that communities like the disabled communities that would have been shut out before are now connecting. And again, that if romance is sparking in those situations and places it wouldn't before, and that supports their argument. What's your response? Well, I think it, using this word romance as a journalist who doesn't believe that Facebook is good for news, and in fact, it is destroying what has been held true um, in how we disseminate information, I would argue that um, when we say, for example, Helen says 70% say that online dating is a good way to meet people. That is not disputed. What we're talking about is romance. And that has all kinds of... You can't quantify romance. That is a, a moment where you have butterflies in your, your stomach or, or, or you're, you meet... I'll give you an example of a young woman who told a story to me yesterday who said she met this guy and he ticked all her boxes, literally. He was a doctor. He was tall. He had brown hair, all those things. He even had a golden retriever. And <laughs> they, she's like, it's happening. It's happening. I did it online. I'm gonna, we're meeting. He's cool. It's two in the afternoon. He's like, you want to go for a walk? Do you want to meet my golden retriever? She's like, yeah, I do. Well, that was code. And, um, sorry, meaning that he, she went back to his apartment and he was like, well, let's get into bed. She's like, I really just wanted to meet your dog. Like, that... There was of, a dog, though. There right? was a dog. <laughs> but, <laughs> there was a dog. Um, but my point being that romance is subjective and numbers are not. So while we okay. say 70% are meeting that way, that does not mean that romance is happening. Let me take, let me take that response to Helen Fisher then. They're, your opponents are basically saying, if we're going to be talking about romance, about this mysterious swept away thing, that that's a different thing from numbers of introductions and even numbers of relationships that connect. I can see what they're saying there. So what's your response to that? Well, it's interesting that they keep on talking about one individual here and one individual there, whereas we are talking about huge numbers of 40 million people. And all of our data show that uh, one-third of relationships, relationships, Manoush, relationships, mm. start, you know, on the Internet, relationships, and that one-fifth of all marriages, there's romance in relationships, there's romance in marriages. Uh, I, I think that people are beaten down. I mean, like, getting, <laughs> like, when Tom says people are getting together and staying together, that's because they're too tired to move on, people. I mean, at some point, you think, you know, how much longer can I play this numbers game? Let's just call it, you know? The game's over. And as someone who's been married for quite some time, some days there are romance, some days there are not. And I think 
what Eric actually and I has said to me that I found very fortifying is actually that romance that you have at the very beginning of a relationship bodes well for you down the road because it's a touch point that you can go back to. Um, thank you for that, Eric. Just so that sociology doesn't get left out of here altogether <laughs> because I, we do have some numbers. Um, oh, so the book I wrote before I wrote Modern Romance is called Going Solo. And it's not, it is worth saying that there are more single people in the world than there have ever been before. There are more people who are living alone than there have ever been before. And that when I interviewed enormous numbers of people, uh, and by the way, I have no self-interest in this. I have no uh, company that's paying me to do this. I mean, the data is all about me being a scientist and trying to get things. Well, we should take that into consideration because if it was 30 years actually, ago... Actually, actually yeah, if, you're, if your suggestion is that they're shills for their companies, I, I just want to say in the spirit of Intelligence Squared, we strike that because we, we actually want to hear the merits of the arguments that they have. Sure, but, 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 but here we have to be very careful. So if it was 30 years ago and we were debating whether cigarettes were bad for you and the cigarette industry told us, here's our evidence, we would all say, well, all right, well again, how do we judge again, that? These are, these are not cigarette people. I, I just, I just want to... <laughs> So so let me say, for the sake of science, that there's incredible disparity in the numbers, what we get from different sources. So the Match.com data is different than the data that we get from other surveys. And for instance, let me just pick one one bone for a moment here. Uh, The claim that uh, the rise in uh, inter-ethnic marriage is coincident with the rise of online dating. Um, this is not a claim that holds water. The, the preeminent researcher of this is Mike Rosenfeld from Stanford University. He's a dear colleague of mine. He wrote a book called The Age of Independence that I know well from my work, and it shows that the rise of intermarriage happens when young people start marrying later, get places of their own, and free themselves from parental control, and so therefore can make decisions about who they want to interact with, who they want to mate with, without that kind of pressure before. And so to say that this is about online dating is just plain wrong. Okay. We have to Eric, have the facts. I just want to break in because this side has had quite a run. I want to let this side talk for a while now. Uh, uh, take it uh, on. Well, um, two things. First of all, um, I loved your book, Going Solo, but uh, I think we used to agree, actually, that uh, made people hyper-connected because these days uh, over people write over 15,000 emails during the course of one year. We're hyper-connected. You can't walk down the street without dodging people because they're so busy connecting with everybody. So, you know, I mean, this is not going solo doesn't necessarily mean that these people are sitting in their, you know, that's number no, one. No, just different Number two, I want to do talk about this interracial marriage, too, because... I don't know if we're referring to the same article, but I was really uh, moved by a particular article that really... There's two things that we actually do know that, inter, that um, uh, online dating is helping, and it is increasing, increasing more uh, interracial marriages. And I say that because in this data of, uh, we, we have at Match, of, of, they have, I'm just a consultant, of, of 35,000 people. We ask what you're looking for every year. And the top things that people are looking for is somebody they respect, somebody they can uh, trust and confide in, somebody who makes them laugh, somebody who makes them, um, uh, gives them enough time, and somebody who uh, they find physically attractive. And way down the road is ethnic background. Over 70% of singles today would go out with somebody from a different racial group. Tom, I want to I want to take uh, give, give you a moment to to build on the argument that you were making in the beginning about algorithms. You talked a lot about algorithms. The implication being, I believe, the implication being that these algorithms are better than people at looking at a large group of people and figuring out who's going to be compatible. 
I think that's, your, that's the basis of your business. And, and my question to you is, how do we know that that's really any better than if you just got a large group of people together and got them in contact with each other, that they would figure out their own matches? So that's a different question from, you, it's a larger group of people. It's once you get that larger group of people, why is your algorithm, what does your algorithm know about dating and romance that the rest of us don't? It's a great question, and I will answer that in one second, but I have to respond to Eric. <laughs> okay, I, I love that you brought up Michael Rosenfeld because Michael Rosenfeld is actually quoted in a recent... Is this about the interracial dating? Uh, this is just for a second. Well, no, no. The, the thing is, we have limited time. We've had two rounds on it. You're going to come back at each other with mm. dueling studies. So I think we'll, we'll end up going in a circle. So okay. if you would not mind moving on, forward. On to algorithms. Thanks. He said he sees no negative repercussions. <laughs> so I think there's actually huge misunderstanding about these algorithms. You know, people like Manoush will say, what does hair color have to do with your soulmate? And Manoush is right, has nothing to do with your soulmate. But we don't look at things like hair color or eye color or height or weight. We look at practical behavioral measurements. We look at who's online. If you go to a bar, the people that you see are the people in the bar with you. One of the most prominent features of the algorithms are that when you go online, you see people who are online with you too. It's the same kind of things that give you the opportunity to see who's responsive, who's open to actually meeting, who actually talks to each other. Those are the people who we promote, the people who you're going to have the best chance of having a good positive interaction with. If you behave poorly, you get how do you How do you know it's a positive interaction? Because I think there's, there, there's a little bit of a sense that, well, uh, that if both people like the same kind of music, then that's a thing that's going to help them get along. But, you know, maybe... That assumption is wrong. Maybe opposites attract in a lot of ways. How do you account for the possibility of opposites attracting? So what, one way that we account for it is we actually don't filter out all sorts of people just because they disagreed with you on one thing. What we do is we present to you the people who are available, and we try and show you things that you can use to connect. Well, it turns out that you happen to agree that Thundercats was the greatest, you know, greatest thing of all time as a child, Right. But maybe two such people should not be allowed to be together. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to concede all the Thundercats couples. <laughs> Give them to you. They're very romantic. But, you know, we, we aren't making those decisions for you. We're just showing you what you have in common okay. with people. Okay, so you, I want to let Nush take, take that on. And, and you, of course, are speaking for your company. Um, I had the pleasure the other night of sitting on the couch with a single uh, female relative who was like, you want to see what it's like? I'll show you what it's like. And we got on Bumble. And let me tell you, it was like, oh, look at his face. Is slight. That's weird the way his ear is. No, gone. Um, oh, look, it, he's a little bit, re- oh, I don't know, his smile's weird. Goodbye. Nobody is looking at whether there's thundercats or they like interacting or anything like that. In fact, she told me that she had gotten more matches or whatever they call it on Bumble when she had nothing written in her profile. It was based on her looking but, but, super cute. But if you take, if, but if you look at what Tom's company doing, okay, Cupid, they're they're not doing just one or two variables like that. They're going in, into a great, a, a lot of data, and then running it through an algorithm, and then saying these two, these two people have a will probably be a good match. John, the motion, dating apps. There's a whole no, I, wide I the spectrum is. out there. Right. So let's 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 have a response to the point that he made. Well, the, you're doing a pivot, very smart. Thank but, you. But but. <laughs> 
But I'd like you to pivot back to the point that he made about the algorithm actually being good at matching people but, up. But can, can we just go back to the thing that Helen said, which I think is kind of brilliant, but there, it, there's something a little off about it. It's that Helen, who believes in uh, these dating sites, will always tell us, your brain is the best algorithm, right? Mm. Get off the sites. Get face-to-face. We completely agree on this. Your brain is the best algorithm. People, your brain is not an algorithm. Your, your, your brain is something else. There's something else going on with you as a whole person. And I think we make a mistake in thinking that we can game this, that we can get this right quantitatively, that there's a model. Because you don't really know until you're with that other person whether you have a spark. And the other thing is it doesn't happen in 10 minutes. We know from the best research that the way to get at what is really distinctive and human and special about another person is to spend time with them. Go on a second date. Go on a but third date. But they're not, date, disputing, they're not disputing the value of subsequent dates. And you're not responding no, but, to but, the but, question of whether the algorithm but, is better but, than we are. But I am because what I'm saying... And Manush is saying this also, is we are actually filtering in a very different way, which has to do with images, and we wind up making decisions uh, that, that, that don't give us a chance. So over time, over years, are people going to still f- f- procreate and find couples? I think we can see the evidence that our species has not died off yet. Uh, but is this good for romance? Right. Is this good we for romance? We don't think so. Okay. I want to go to audience questions in just a moment. The way that will work, I'll remind you, I'm, I'm not going to be able to call on people upstairs, but if you're downstairs, raise your hand and I will call on you. Please wait for a microphone to come to you. Tell us your name. Stand up. And, uh, and ask a very short question. But I want to let Helen respond, if you would like to, to what was just said. Otherwise, we can move on to the other. Oh, well, very briefly. Yeah. I, I entirely agree. And I ended, ended up saying on the podium that these are not dating sites. They are introducing sites. And there's all, I mean, one of the fastest growing one is called Our Time. It's for people over 50. I'm over 50. I can't stand in a bar and wait for people to, fill, you know, walk by. <laughs> it's not going to happen to me. Okay, let's go to some questions. Uh, I see an orange sweater. And if you could stand up and, again, please tell us your name. Thanks. Um, Hi, my name is Meredith. Um, And my question is for, um, I guess, for the four people. I find that I'm a very bad judge of people that I'm in potential romantic relationships with because I self-rationalize as soon as I'm attracted to people. Um, and I just want to have sex with them, and then <laughs> I end up getting in a relationship with them by mistake. How would you respond to that point, that perhaps meeting somebody, meeting somebody on an app is better because you don't actually get to like, smell them and stuff? Thank you for that question. That's uh, for, for this side, right? No, I'm with you. I, I Okay, so can I share? This maybe is familiar. Um, a friend told me the story last night. I, I had a great night hearing all these stories last night. Um, that she thought that she'd met some guy that she was really into on a, OkCupid. And actually, they decided to have sex. And they went out for brunch the next morning. And she's thinking, he smells right. All those things, right? And she goes home, and she gets on her laptop, and she looks on her laptop, and she says, oh, wait, this is not my OkCupid account. Oh, it's, it's Wayne's OkCupid account. And, oh, shit. While, I, while we ha- were having sex, I went into the bathroom, and he got on OkCupid and set up another date with someone. 
And then she also saw all the messages that he had sent to other guys saying that she was so easy and what a great time he was having. And, okay, I, I see and where then, that's going. Let's let, the, oh, yeah. <laughs> let, your, let your opponents respond to some of that. Tom Jakes. <clears throat> so, first of all, I'd like to, I'd like to see those messages. I'd like to see that account. <clears throat> you know, I'm, not, I'm not sure that they We know you can, man. We know you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, but, but again, what Manoush has been talking about again and again is bad behavior. And are these one-off examples of, again, like truly bad behavior, people behaving very poorly. Uh, but, you know, when you have millions of people using these dating apps to get together, there's a very deep barrel, and you can pull out some really nasty stories from the bottom. But that doesn't mean that the typical experience isn't a good one. Can I, okay, yeah. I, can I just... Uh, very quick question. Very quick response. Yeah, just uh, another quick uh, sociological survey. People here who've been online dating, can you uh, applaud women, especially if you've been dating online? When Manoush tells stories about these kinds of experiences and messages, will you clap if they ring a bell? Um, I'm going to move on to another question. I just want to compliment that question as being very short, very interesting, <laughs> and, and actually related to the dating app part of it and being a question. So that's the model. Well done, Meredith. We are swiping right on you all over this room. Um, right down here. Yeah, uh, you're the only person, the nearest person. If you could stand up again, please. Thanks. If yeah. you don't mind. Hi, I'm Willa. I'm from New York. I am really curious, given your statements about how dating apps are introduction tools. Mm. And I know that as a young single person who has dabbled in the dating app world, um, sometimes I will see people who I know from real life. <laughs> And sometimes there are people who I, who I do like from real life, and then other times there are people who I really don't like from real life, like a childhood bully or someone who I work with and we don't get along well. Or, you know, I, I'm really curious to hear about what happens to our behavior when we see people who we have already been introduced to when we get on these apps. What happens psychologically? What happens in that's, our, that's, in our that's a little bit more specific than the topic we're discussing, but I'm kind of really interested to hear the answer. So I'm going to – normally would say let's pass on it, but what's your take on that? Oh, I want to do an episode on that. Totally. My executive producer is here, so we'll talk after. <laughs> <laughs> Helen. And I just swipe left is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, hi, I'm Amelia. I'm from Colorado. Um, so I think that one of the themes that I'm picking up on here is that there's this idea that uh, part of romance is maybe like figuring out if another person is interested in you. So that's maybe the appeal of like what you guys were saying, going to a bar and like, oh, are we looking at do you, each other? Do you, do you buy that? I just want to ch- 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 yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. good. Okay, you yeah. got them. Yeah. So I guess like my question is... Um, how is it less romantic intrinsically to meet with somebody who you already know is attracted to you? Because of the app. Yes. Okay. Yes. Through, through uh, an app. So, so again, I can just say from doing interviews with people all over the world that when people connect face-to-face, most of the time it's a miss. 
And it's hard to know who you're going to be attracted to in real life, in part because the pictures that we put up of ourselves don't really tell the real truth about us. I mean, if there's anything, you know, I I do sociology, not advice, but if I could give you one piece of advice, if you're thinking about doing online after tonight, it's don't believe what you see and read. Uh, Wait until you meet the person, because the truth is, most of the time, you're not getting what you expect. Helen? I would just answer the question directly and say that the data show that when you know that somebody is in love with you, it makes you like them more. Hmm. That seems uh, quite intuitive. Write down. No, no. uh, Yeah, yes. If you could stand up, please. Thanks. Hi, I'm Ethel from New York. Um, I want to know why the con artists from the third world are the most romantic men on dating apps. (laughs) (laughs) And... And I want to know if I can figure out that these men are con artists from the third world because they don't know, uh, they only know the metric system, so they write down that they're four feet tall. (laughs) Um, How come these people aren't screened out and gotten rid of? I missed the last. Sounds like a question, Tom. Why aren't they screened out? That's That's a great question. (laughs) <laughs> so again, like this is something that I, I I've dealt with, you know, every day for the last eight years of my life, and we, I've actually spent an extremely long period of time over the last year really delving into how can we better deal with spammers and scammers like the ones that you're describing, and you know I do think that it's it's a big deal, and I do think that. Uh, those types of scammers tend to try to prey on the elderly because, again, they are a vulnerable class of people that don't have other mechanisms of meeting people. Uh, and so what, what we do is we actually pay very close attention to that. Uh, we take a look at, you know, where are you signing up from? Are you signing up from some third-world country in Africa claiming to be in the United States? Uh, all sorts of things like this. Uh, and, you know, really at the end of the day, uh, what you're describing is a very serious problem that we pay a lot of attention to, and we've reduced the number of uh, complaints that we've had by over 90% in the last year, of things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, like, that's an economic problem. It's not a romantic one. Okay, I want to let the other side respond yeah. to that. Yeah. I just want to raise a flag for me about the um, way we're talking about the third world and people from other countries, and to say that... Um, Again, we, you know, we debated the interethnic marriage thing, but can we say that the way I learned about how rampant discrimination is in online dating is from the OkCupid research site that Christian Rudder maintained where he documented so thoroughly the, uh, the penalty you pay for being African-American or from being an Asian man or from being perceived as third world on these sites to think that discrimination disappears because we now have a chance to meet other people uh, I think is off base, and I'll just listen to the conversation if you want to be concerned about uh, the persistence of these problems in the world online. That, that was quite a gauntlet, so if you'd like to respond, either of you. Yeah. Well, all of our data shows okay. that um, uh, more and more people, on, I mean, in my data of 35,000 people, it was way down the list of what you were looking for in a partner. They'd really, 70% of, of singles on these dating apps uh, don't, um, uh, uh, would, would go out with somebody from a different but, race. But can we geek out for, for one second here to say that it's you not about what geeking you... geeking out so <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go a little deeper because, as you've said repeatedly, it is not about what we say we're interested on in a survey. It's what we reveal when we act online. And if the data tell us that... 
African-American women get three-quarters of the affection and attention of all the other groups online, and that an Asian man would have to earn an additional $247,000 to stand on equal footing with his white counterpart, that's important information we get from looking at people's revealed preferences through their behavior. Take the survey with a grain of salt. Can I respond? Yes. Yeah. Come, Jake. So I'd, I'd just like to point out that Eric is citing us. We're the people talking about this. We recognize that these things are problems. And again, this is the type of thing that I spend every day trying to make better. And guess what? It is getting better. People are more willing and more, uh, more and more willing over time to reach out to these people. That doesn't mean that discrimination disappears overnight, but because there's more exposure to different people of different backgrounds, that's how we get to know each other and bridge those gaps. Front row here. Right down in the center. And the mic's coming from your left-hand side. So I'll state the question would be, to your point, that... Could you a dating tell, app, could you, do you mind saying us and tell us your name? A dating app is and, and, and quantity. What's your name? Tiffany. Thanks. So a dating app clearly is quantity, so there are going to be more people that can connect. But it's about the romance in the quantity that are connecting. To your point, there are complications, there are problems, and because there's a huge quantity base, people are wait, not wait, happy. Wait, do you have a question? I do have a question. So my question is... is how would you say that there's romance when there's all of these people that are constantly being disappointed because there's so much quantity and they're being punched left and right to be brought to someone's house to have sex or this or that, all the okay. stuff that comes in. So how would you say that that's romantic? It's so huge. Well, no, no, so no, no, you, you, you landed it, so thanks. <laughs> no, really, you're good, thanks. Uh, Helen, you want to take that? Oh, no, you can take it. It's about... (laughs) (laughs) How can all that nastiness be anything suggestive of romance? And it's basically the same argument your opponents are making. They're looking at many, many incidents of nasty behavior, and they're saying, that's not romantic, therefore they win. (laughs) But so It would be nice if arguments worked that way. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, again, like, so your point is that you know, there's so many options. People are talking to you all over the place, you know, and that's not romantic, right? Uh, well, you know, I'd kind of counter two ways. One is that what about the people who don't have any other options? The people who are scared to go out, maybe they're not openly gay, and this is a mechanism where they can use these apps to actually meet people uh, that they don't otherwise have, right? Now, that doesn't mean that your point isn't a valid one, right? Like, there's a lot of attention. But, you know, what happens if you go outside to the bar? You're going to meet tons of people anyway. Like, one of the main complaints that women have when they go out is that people are hitting on them, giving them unwanted attention, and they don't have, you know, the power and the mechanisms to just make those people go away. Well, guess what? Dating apps let you just swipe those problems away. Here's, here's, a, here's one from YouTube. Um, this is a question for the... I'm sorry, Helen, did you want to... Oh, I just wanted to wonder why you thought the nastiness was just on apps. I mean, all you've got to do is read fiction. Wait, but, hey, Gal. John, John can, can we... Res- are, are you... I'm done. Oh, I thought you were on a roll. Okay. Re- I think, just so our side can respond to this question, which I think is about the kind of general... I, I felt like, honestly, I felt like she was, like, making your Yeah, argument. I thought so, too. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't think we need to nail it. Well, if Manoush says so, I am okay, definitely okay. going to listen to that. So uh, we have a question from YouTube, and this is for the four teams, so it's your turn. If the dating apps are killing romance by promoting superficial judgments, for example, swipe left, right, based on a picture, 
How's that different from eating in real life? We do not generally approach people who are unattractive to us. Should I answer? Manoush. All right. Total confession. When I first met my now husband, I just, like, he didn't do anything for me, like, at all. It was a work situation, and then we ended up talking, and then he was really funny, and then he had the weird smell thing, like Meredith was talking about, like, he smelled right. And we never would have been matched by a dating site. We argue about religion constantly. But we have two beautiful children, and most of the time we're really into each other. So I just think that there's something to be said that we're talking about an industry that is $2.7 billion a year. And it wants to grow, right? So it, it makes sense that it wants you to think, like, there's amazing people on there, and they're, they're gorgeous, and they're just like me, or, or they're different, but we're compatible anyway, Look around. One woman told me that her son made a, made a match, and she was so happy. But the irony was that the woman worked in the same building as him. So if they had just looked up from their phones, maybe they would have seen each other. <laughs> I'd like to let the other side respond to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any I'll I'll take a quick response. All right, go ahead. So, I mean, I actually think that your point right there is a fantastic one for dating apps. These people were in the same building, and they never met until they used a dating app. (laughs) I think we have time for one more, and somebody holding up our program. That's a very good way to get my attention. It worked. Hi, I'm Candice. I think romance, the definition of it has changed over time. I'm sure once it was how many sheep you were willing to offer for somebody's hand in marriage. A few decades ago, it was, you know, showing up with flowers. How do you guys define romance now? Because I feel like it's something you haven't actually expressed your view what romance actually is to you. It seems like the side against the agenda here is... um, I think the foresight has told us what romance is. They said yeah. very clearly it's being swept away and wrapped up. So you were really asking what's the, ro- what's the definition of romance being used by the Gens. I think it's a fair question. Um, okay. So why don't you take a crack at that, Helen? Um, I've studied that for years. The first thing that happens when you fall in love is a person takes on what we call special meaning. Um, everything about them becomes special. The car that they drive is different from every other car in the parking lot, the, the street they live on, the music that they like. Then you focus on them. Elation when things are going well. Mood swings into horrible despair when things are going uh, poorly. Focusing on them. Elation, um, let's see, uh, possessiveness, uh, butterflies in the stomach, a dry mouth when you're talking to them. But the three main characters, you want to have sex with them, but what you really want them to do (laughs) is to call, to write, to ask you out, and to tell you that they love you. You want that emotional union. It's even more important than sexual union. Um, And the obsessive thinking. Before we put people in the brain scanners, the one most important question that I would ask them is, what percentage of the day and night do you think about this person? And they would say, I never stop thinking about her. I never. That is 
is, is romantic love. It's a very specific constellation of personality traits. Times change. We bring flowers now. Uh, these days, don't forget the flowers. Just leave your cell phone in your pocket and you'll do a lot better on a first date. But uh, anyway, it's a very distinct characteristic of romantic love. Uh, we know what's happening in the brain. Times have changed. We've got something now which is called culture lag. Our definition of what romance is is changing faster than our understanding uh, and, what, and our expectations. I can let the other side have one final word if you would like. Or no, no, do you I, want to just want to say that that was yeah, pretty beautiful? No, I, that was lovely. I'm in love with Helen right now, actually. But like my, <laughs> my, I don't think we're disagreeing about that, but I think it comes back to the motion, which is about how difficult dating apps are making it to get to that point that you have to deal with all the extremely unromantic difficult behavior, whether it's rating people by what they look or dealing with extremely rude, racist, sexist comments, it's a tough uh, road to you to get to this wonderful thing that you're describing. So I, I think we all love each other on stage, but I think we disagree well, let's, about let's, the road that we get to. Then, let's, then let me call it. That's the end of round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. And now we move on to round three. Round three will be brief closing statements by each debater in turn. Those statements will be two minutes each. The debaters will stand up one last time to make their closing statements. And here to begin that round, to make her closing statement in support of the motion, Manush Zamarodi, host and managing editor of WNYC's Note to Self. I stand up, right? Yes, you do. (laughs) On the square... Okay, so I just mentioned $2.7 billion that we're talking about with these dating apps. But as you have seen from the headlines, Silicon Valley's utopian belief that tech is always a force for good is being tested. We're seeing it be tested from a consumer perspective, from a civic perspective, from an economic perspective, and tonight, I think from a romantic perspective. We're living in this age of self-experimentation, And I think we have to be able to say, like, no, this isn't working. This is gross a lot of the time. We don't feel good about ourselves. A lot of the emotion that I saw in some of the people standing up to ask questions is very real. Maybe the data doesn't show it, but the stories are extremely important. And Silicon Valley needs to listen more closely to the people that they're peddling their wares to. So let's let let the companies know Apps are killing romance. We need to see change. Humans can now conveniently order their groceries online. You can, with a tap, order up a car. But you should not be summoning romance through an app. The motion is right. Vote yes to the motion. Thank you, Manoj Zamarodi. And that motion again, swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. Here making her closing statement against the motion, Helen Fisher, biological anthropologist and chief scientific advisor to Match.com. So several years ago, I was traveling in Tanzania with one of the last remaining hunting and gathering tribes called the Hadza. And through an interpreter, I asked a 12-year-old boy if he had a girlfriend. And he said, I saw a girl, and when I grow up, I'm going to kill a zebra and give her the tail. (laughs) Around the world, people love. 
They sing for love. They dance for love. They compose songs and stories and ballets and operas and movies about love. They retell myths and legends about love. They have love charms, love potions, love magic, and love holidays like Valentine's Day. We pine for love. We live for love. We kill for love. And we die for love. In fact, the oldest love letter that I saw uh, in Istanbul was from 4,000 years ago. It was written in cuneiform on a lump of clay. In those days, people most likely um, romanced in person. And as I've been up here tonight, I've began to wonder whether they once had a debate called cuneiform is killing romance. (laughs) (laughs) The real thing, thank you, (laughs) the real thing that's changing romance is not apps. It's women piling into the job market in cultures around the world. This is the huge social modern trend. In fact, marriage has changed more in the last 100 years than it has in the last 10,000. But romance has not changed. It's like a bamboo tree of oriental literature. It sways in the breezes of time. But it always springs up again. Romantic love is adaptable, primordial, and unquenchable. So I hope that Tom and I have made a compelling argument for you tonight. And I will conclude with this. To anybody in this room who's looking for love, and anybody on the airwaves who are listening here tonight who's looking for love, apps cannot, will not, and never will uh, kill romance. Thank you, Helen Fisher. The motion again, swipe left. Dating apps have killed romance. Here making his closing statement in support of the motion, Eric Kleinenberg, sociologist and co-author of Modern Romance. I've read the histories of procreation, of evolution, and let me say at the outset, procreation and the reproduction of our species is not romance. If you read about the history of men and women getting together and think that that is a love poem, uh, I don't know what book you're reading. Like it or not, social life today is rooted in the internet. I know some 11 and 12-year-old kids, too. I have an 11-year-old boy. He's been talking all about Instagram recently and Snapchat. He needs to be on it because if he's not on it, he is missing out on where all the action is. He is not part of the conversation. He has to be there. And when I talk to single people, they tell me the same thing about dating apps. But that doesn't mean that they love it or that they're finding the romance they want. I'm married My wife is here, and I've spent the last decade of my life writing books about the culture of single people. Bless you, honey. (laughs) Imagine explaining that to your spouse. Um, When I started this work, I and many of my male friends said, boy, it must be pretty great to be a guy in this world of of the swipe apps, online dating. It seems so easy to find love and romance. You just click a button or swipe left or right. And when I finished all this research... I thought the opposite. Thank God I have escaped that cesspool of humanity (laughs) online. We've heard all about the the downsides of digital dating, the the ghosting, the pointless messaging with strangers, the, the racial discrimination, the crass treatment of women, the utter terror of it all. And right now, right now, one in five people in this country are say that they are online during all their waking hours, essentially. So as we approach Valentine's Day, as we think about how to to heal together, could you please join me in thinking that we would all be better off 
if we had a little bit less time with our screens, a little bit less time on the apps, and a little bit more time with each other face-to-face. Vote for us. Thank you, Eric Leinenberg. The motion, swipe left, dating apps have killed romance. And here with his closing statement against the motion, Tom Jakes, Vice President of Engineering at OKCupid. So you've heard a lot of stories today, you know, very emotional ones. Uh, I thought it was time I share one myself. So I'd like to take a moment to tell a personal story of how dating apps have affected me. Uh, Despite coming up here today, I'm actually a pretty shy guy. Uh, I'm not the kind of person who just walks up to someone at a bar and says hello. Uh, And when I graduated college and was moving to New York City to work at OkCupid, I didn't know anybody. Uh, I really didn't have many friends, and I didn't know what places to go, but I did have a dating app. And I got to see firsthand how it worked and you know, how much the people who worked on it cared about how it worked. And so I made a profile and started using it. And I realized I wasn't alone. Thousands of other people in New York my age were looking for someone too. And then when I was busy trying to find somebody, that someone found me. She messaged me and we ended up talking and chatting for hours. And the more that I knew about her, the more I wanted to know. And after talking for a while, we finally met And the more time that we spent together, the more precious it became. Uh, Eventually, I realized that not only did I want to spend the rest of my life with this person, that I didn't want to spend a moment without her. Her name is Natasha, and she's the love of my life. She's actually standing, uh, standing (laughs) in the audience tonight. Stories... Stories like mine are the reason that I came here to debate tonight. If you vote yes on the motion, you're saying that you believe the world would be a better place without dating apps and that it would have been better if couples like my wife and I had never had the opportunity to meet. (laughs) Saying dating apps killed romance is saying that other people looking for love should be denied that same opportunity. (laughs) The reason that I do what I do for a living is because I think everyone should have that opportunity. And because of that, I urge you to vote no on the motion. Thank you, Tom Jakes. And that concludes round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where the motion is swipe left, dating apps have killed romance. All right, it's time for you to vote a second time. Uh, and I want to explain, because I don't think that I did in the beginning, um, the way that we announce a winner, the way that we determine who our winner is, is we look at the difference between the first and the second votes. It's not the absolute number, it's the number that's gone up the most, the team that's pulled in the most votes, either from the undecided or from their opponents. So if you go back to your phones, the process is the same as before, iq2us.org vote, and you have the choice of for, against, or undecided. I'm going to give you just about 15 to 20 seconds to concentrate on that, but then we're going to continue a little bit here. Um, it's not working? Is that everybody saying that or just one person? You're fine. Thumbs up from people who it's working. If you're having problems, you refresh the page and it should work then. And I'm seeing a lot of thumbs up, so we think that the system's still go- going well. Um, 
I want to say a couple things. One is, uh, this was a little bit of a change of pace, this topic for us, and I'm really, really glad that we did it for a couple of reasons. Uh, we brought in new audience to learn about who we are, but we also demonstrated that, you know, it's th- there, there were some serious aspects to this conversation. We went down some serious paths, and yet throughout that, despite disagreement, the, the ability of both sides to remain in the process of this event itself civil and decent and informative and fact-based and listening to the other side all the way through is the goal we set for Intelligence Squared, especially in these times that we're living in. So I want to congratulate all four of you for what you did. I, I also just want to say this to the, uh, to the other shy guy on the stage. Um, for you to, if, if, you, if you said that you're a shy person and you got up and got through this with the, the skill and the, and the aplomb that you did, Tom, you're great at this. So yeah, totally. You... <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. I think he forgot to say that he's married her. Oh, no, I think we got Did you say I, that? I, I, sa- oh, I did good. say yeah. I hope I said that. <laughs> oh, we have to rewind and do it again. <laughs> And the other thing I want to say is the questions tonight were all great. Um, uh, people who yeah. come to our regular debates know that very often I kind of have to pass on questions because they don't, they're repetitive or they don't, they're off point or they don't move the topic forward. All of them, from the very first one over there forward, they were, they were terrific. So I want to thank everybody who got up to ask the questions. And, um, and there were a lot of hands left up. I apologize to those who didn't get to ask you questions. I'm sure they would have been fantastic and moved us forward. And afterwards, you can, you know, grab these guys and have a little chat with them at the edge of the stage or, or elsewhere. Um, we, I, I just want to run something by all of you as we're coming up to Thanksgiving. This is not competitive. This, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, eventually we I'll be right. If we only get through this year, please get us through this year. Someone yes. get us to Thanksgiving. As we, sorry. As we're coming up to uh, Valentine's Day, um, this is not competitive at this point. Oh. I just want to sort of hear, well, if you want to compete, you can. But... <laughs> This, 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 uh, this uh, institution of Valentine's Day, is it itself good for romance? And um, I'll start. Yeah. What does the audience think yeah. on that? That's a no from the audience? Anybody, by applause, anybody think Valentine's Day is good for romance? And on the other side of the coin... Manoush, I'll start with you. What is your take on Valentine's Day? Oh, I think it's total bullshit, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. there goes the NPR yeah, sorry. broadcast. <laughs> sorry. Oh, I think it's... Um, what could I, uh, if one were to question its consumerist uh, standpoint, I would say that Valentine's Day is a bit of a sham. Um, but, you know, it's really romantic. My husband could not be here tonight because no. he's home with our kids because he had to relieve my mother from babysitting. And, like... He really wanted to come, but he was like, like that's romantic to me. And, and that's just today. Uh, and the problem with Valentine's Day is? It's just like, oh, one more thing on my to-do list. Like, packing the lunches, getting the kids there, figuring out what time they're getting picked up. Now I'm supposed to, like, do something. I don't know. No, I, I have enough going on in my life. I don't need another holiday. How about you, Tom? Tom Jakes. I'm starting to think maybe Manoush just isn't a very romantic person. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So sad. <laughs> I, I actually think that Valentine's pragmatic Day, romance. <laughs> I actually think that it's it's kind of nice to have a day to set aside to spend with the person that you love. You don't have kids, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> how, Helen, how about you? 
I like val- getting valentines. <laughs> but anyway, I'm an anthropologist, so I'm really not in the should business of whether it's good or bad, but I'm very interested in it. It's one of these things, it's one of those times that marks who you are. If you've got a good person in your life, then you can really celebrate it. And if you don't, it's a real wake-up call to get onto an app. Hey, about that. And, uh, <laughs> and find the right one. Oh. NPR also doesn't like commercials. So. Oh! <laughs> Eric? I'm with Manoush. <laughs> I think there's like a Venn diagram somewhere and like the people who are used really into online dating are also really into Valentine's Day. And then there's these like hopeless... Every day is romantic in my family yeah. um, in real life. Well, so I also... I listened to Manoush and I also looked at my wife who's sitting in the second row. Uh, my wife whom I met face to face the old-fashioned way. Um, and I know you're against that over there. But, um, but I just... I just saw that kind of um, wave of nausea hit her when they started talking about Valentine's Day, and I felt vindicated, vindicated honey, and free to say, um, we might not go on a Valentine's date this year, but, but I love you, and we'll have romantic nights another time. <laughs> when we're not being forced to. And I, I, I reiterate that Intelligence Squared intelidating can be a very hot evening. So. <laughs> I buy that. So we want to see more of you back here uh, with your significant others. Um, I want to tell you that Intelligence Squared, for those of you, I know we have a lot of new uh, audience tonight. I want to share with you uh, a little bit about who we are. We are a nonprofit organization. Um, we, we do these debates. Essentially, it's a philanthropic activity. We create them, and then we put them out into the world through all of the apps that I have mentioned, through all the channels that I've mentioned on Newsy and on public radio and uh, through uh, apps that you can get at the Google Store and app, the Apple Store. Um, and on Roku. Um, so it, we're kind of everywhere, but the really great thing is that a lot of schools use us, and I'm talking about schools from the college level down to elementary school. They use us to, to teach, uh, to talk about civil discourse, to present the competing ideas, and we're very, very proud of that, and we're very pleased to have so many people in this audience tonight who bought tickets, but I want to let you know that ticket price doesn't come close to covering the cost of what we do, so we uh, ask for and, and appreciate enormously support from anybody who can uh, give it, and I want to let you know, if you, everybody's got phones in their hands, we know that tonight, um, it, you can support us by texting uh, a donation, or the p- process to start a donation, if you text the word debate to 797979, that will give you a link to donate online, and any amount help, helps that, and I really mean it, any amount helps, because that will let us keep doing more and more of these. I think that I said at the beginning that tonight was debate number 146. Uh, debate 147 is coming up on March 9th. Um, we are taking part in the Brussels Forum, which is sponsored by the German Marshall Fund. In that debate, the motion is going to be humanitarian intervention does more harm than good. Um, and in that debate, yeah, I, 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 I like hearing that sort of, I think it's going to be, a, it's a very, very uh, important topic, and like this one, it, it actually has many, many layers to it, and I think it's going to be great. Um, the Hoover Institution's Corey Shockey, who has debated with us before, and she is a fantastic debater, uh, and the co-founder of Doctors Without Borders, Bernard Kushner, will be debating that motion. Um, you, if, you know, if, it's actually in Brussels, so I don't expect to see that many of you, but um, you can watch it. Uh, you can watch the live stream, and the, the timing is good for being able to watch here in the U.S., and you can subscribe to our podcast, um, the Intelligence Squared podcast. That's available on Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Um, on March 27th, we are back here in New York City uh, for a debate on religion. 
And the question is whether religion is a net benefit or harm to society. Um, arguing in defense of religion will be uh, the New York Times bestselling author, uh, Deepak Chopra. Arguing on the other side will be the science historian and professional skeptic, Michael Shermer. Uh, tickets to the, who has also debated with us in the past, uh, another spectacular, you know, it's a voice you want to hear on stage, you want to witness what he can do. Tickets to that debate will be available on our website, which is iq2us.org shortly. Later on this season, we're going to be debating, I'm, I'm anticipating the response to this one compared to four weeks ago, we're going to be debating the viability of Bitcoin. Ha ha ha. No, it's still in the game. Uh, with uh, Overstock CEO Patrick Byrne and legal uh, scholar Eric Posner. And they will be taking on, after that, we're going to be taking on later on in the season the issue of net neutrality. And on that one, we have the chairwoman of Mozilla, uh, Mitchell Baker. And again, visit IQ2US uh, to, to learn more. So we're taking a few more minutes to calculate the results. And I'm going to, oh, um, hang on just a second. I get a note on my iPad because we're all high-tech here, and, uh, and it gives me an update on where we are. Um, Our side is for hand-voting, but uh, we lost that. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. You want to hand out the paper ballots, and then, and, and then maybe your eyes saying. will meet somebody Come on the up way. Just tell us how you Just feel. saying. Okay. Okay. Um, all right, so, Okay. Normally, what I do is I share with you what the numbers in the first vote were and what the numbers in the second vote were, and then I tell you what the swing was between the first and the second. Our system is not spitting out the first, those first notes and the second notes, but mysteriously, it has done the calculation for the swing. <laughs> um, and, and, and I guarantee... Well, I'm not going to say guarantee because I don't actually know, but I'm pretty sure that... that you know, within an, uh, ultimately, we will be producing those numbers. But I am now going to announce the winner based on the swing. And I'm just checking to see if there's an update for this. Okay, here it comes. The basic result was that the, four si- the side arguing for the motion went down 9 percentage points. <laughs> the side arguing against the motion went up 29 percentage points. That means it's team arguing against the motion on our, our winners. Congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. <laughs>